Chapter Two of Chopin, The Man and His Music. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chopin, The Man and His Music, by James Honecker. Chapter Two, Paris, in the Maelstrom. Here according to Niecks, is the itinerary of Chopin's life for the next eighteen years. In Paris, 27 Boulevard Poissonnier to 5 and 38 Chaussée d'Anton, to Aix-la-Chapelle, Karlsbad, Leipzig, Heidelberg, Marienbad, and London, to Majorca, to 5 Rue Tranche, 16 Rue Pigalle, and 9 Square d'Orléans, to England and Scotland, to Nine Square d'Orléans once more, Rue Cheo, and Twelve Place Vendôme, and then Père Lachaise, the last resting place. It may be seen that Chopin was a restless, though not roving, nature. In later years, his inability to remain settled in one place bore a pathological impress. Consumptives are often so. The Paris of eighteen thirty one the paris of arts and letters was one of the most delightful cities in the world for the culture-loving the molten tide of passion and decorative extravagance that swept over intellectual europe threescore years and ten ago bore on its foaming crest victor hugo prince of romanticists nearby was henry heine he left heinrich across the rhine heine who dipped his pen in honey and gall who sneered and wept in the same couplet. The star of classicism had seemingly set. In the rich conflict of genius were Gautier, Schumann, and the rest. All as romance, fantasy, and passion, and the young men heard the moon sing silvery, you remember Du Musset, and the leaves rustle rhythms to the heartbeats of lovers. Away with the grey beards, cried he of the scarlet waistcoat and all france applauded ernani pity it was that the romantic infant had to die of intellectual anemia leaving as a legacy the memories and work of one of the most marvellous groupings of genius since the athens of pericles the revolution of eighteen forty eight called from the mud the sewermen flaubert his face to the past gazed sorrowfully at carthage and wrote an epic of the french bourgeois zola and his crowd delved into a moral morass and the world grew weary of them and then the faint fading flowers of romanticism were put into albums where their purple harmonies and subtle sayings are pressed into sweet twilight forgetfulness berlio mad hector of the flaming locks whose orchestral ozone vivified the scores of wagner and liszt began to sound garishly empty brilliantly superficial the colossal nightingale is difficult to classify even today a romantic by temperament he unquestionably was but then his music all colour nuance and brilliancy was not genuinely romantic in its themes Compare him with Schumann, and the genuine romanticist tops the virtuoso. Berlioz, I suspect, 
was a magnified virtuoso his orchestral technique is supreme but his music fails to force its way into my soul it pricks the nerves it pleases the sense of the gigantic the strange the formless but there is something uncanny about it all like some huge prehistoric bird an awful pterodactyl with goggle eyes horrid snout and scream berlioz like baudelaire has the power of evoking the shudder but as john addington simons wrote the shams of the classicists the spasms of the romanticists have alike to be abandoned neither on a mock parnassus or on a pasteboard blocksberg can the poet of the age now worship the artist walks the world at large beneath the light of natural day all this was before the polish charmer distilled his sugared wormwood his sweet exasperated poison for thirsty souls in morbid paris think of the men and women with whom the newcomer associated for his genius was quickly divined hugo lamartine pere lamne ah what balm for those troubled days was in his parole d'un crayon chateaubriand saint-simon merimy gautier liszt victor cousin baudelaire adi scheffer berlioz heine who was the pole news of his muse the laughing nymph if she still continued to drape her silvery veil around the flowing locks of her green hair with a coquetry so enticing if the old sea-god with the long white beard still pursued his mischievous maid with his ridiculous love dumusset dumini rossini meyerbeer aubert saint beuve adolphe nuri ferdinand hiller balzac dumas heller delacroix the hugo of painters michelet guizot thiers niemcevich and mikiewicz the polish bards and george sand the quintessence of the paris art and literature the most eloquent page in liszt's chopin is the narrative of an evening in the chaussee d'antin for it demonstrates the hungarian's literary gifts and feeling for the right phrase this description of chopin's apartment invaded by surprise has a hypnotizing effect on me the very furnishings of the chamber seem vocal under liszt's fanciful pen in more doubtful taste is a statement that the glaze which covers the grace of the elite as it does the fruit of their deserts could not have been satisfactory to chopin liszt despite his tendency to idealize chopin after his death is our most trustworthy witness at this period chopin was an ideal to liszt though he has not left us a record of his defects the pole was ombrageau and easily offended he disliked democracies in fact mankind in the bulk stunned him this is one reason combined with a frail physique of his inability to conquer the larger public thalberg could do it his aristocratic turner imperturbability beautiful touch and polished mechanism won the suffrage of his audiences liszt never stooped to cajole he came he played he overwhelmed 
chopin knew all this knew his weaknesses and fought to overcome them but failed another crumpled rose-leaf for this man of excessive sensibility since told of liszt and first related by him is the anecdote of chopin refusing to play on being incautiously pressed after dinner giving as a reason ah sir i have eaten so little even though his host was gauche it cannot be denied that the retort was rude chopin met osborne mendelssohn who rather patronized him with the chopinetto bayot the violinist and franchomme the cellist with the latter he contracted a lasting friendship often playing duos with him and dedicating to him his g minor cello sonata he called on kalkbrenner then the first pianist of his day who was puzzled by the prodigious novelty of the young pole's playing having heard Hetz and hiller chopin did not fear to perform his e minor concerto for him he tells all about the interview in a letter to titus are you a pupil of fields was asked by kalkbrenner who remarked that chopin had the style of kramer and the touch of field not having a standard by which to gauge the new phenomenon kalkbrenner was forced to fall back on the playing of men he knew he then begged chopin to study three years with him only three but elsner in an earnest letter dissuaded his pupil from making any experiments that might hurt his originality of style chopin actually attended the class of kalkbrenner but soon quit for he had nothing to learn of the pompous penurious pianist the hiller story of how mendelssohn chopin liszt and heller teased this grouty old gentleman on the boulevard des italiens is capital reading if not absolutely true yet chopin admired kalkbrenner's finished technique despite his platitudinous manner heine said or rather quoted koreff that kalkbrenner looked like a bonbon that had been in the mud niecks thinks chopin might have learned of kalkbrenner on the mechanical side chopin in public was modest about his attainments looking upon himself as self-taught i cannot create a new school because i do not even know the old he said it is this very absence of scholasticism that is both the power and weakness of his music in reality his true technical ancestor was hummel he played the e minor concerto first in paris february twenty sixth eighteen thirty two and some smaller pieces although kalkbrenner bayot and others participated chopin was the hero of the evening the affair was a financial failure the audience consisting mostly of distinguished and aristocratic poles mendelssohn who disliked kalkbrenner and was angered at his arrogance in asking chopin to study with him applauded furiously after this hiller writes nothing more was heard of chopin's lack of technique the criticisms were favorable on may twenty eighteen thirty two chopin appeared at a charity concert organized by prince de la moscova he was lionized in society and he wrote to titus that his heart beat in syncopation 
so exciting was all this adulation social excitement and rapid gait of living but he still sentimentalizes to titus and wishes him in paris a flirtation of no moment with francilla pixis the adopted daughter of pixis the hunchback pianist cruelly mimicked by chopin aroused the jealousy of the elder artist chopin was delighted for he was malicious in a dainty way what do you think of this he writes i a dangerous seductor the paris letters to his parents were unluckily destroyed as karasowski relates by russian soldiers in warsaw september nineteen eighteen sixty three and with them were burned his portrait by ari scheffer and his first piano the loss of the letters is irremediable karasowski who saw some of them says they were tinged with melancholy despite his artistic success chopin needed money and began to consider again his projected trip to america luckily he met prince valentine ratchivel on the street so it is said and was persuaded to play at a rothschild soiree from that moment his prospects brightened for he secured paying pupils nix the iconoclast has run the story to earth and finds it built on airy romantic foundations liszt hiller franchomme and sowinsky never heard of it although it was a stock anecdote of chopin chopin must have broadened mentally as well as musically in this congenial artistic environment he went about hobnobbed with princesses and of the effect of this upon his compositions there can be no doubt if he became more cosmopolitan he also became more artificial and for a time the salon with its perfumed elegant atmosphere threatened to drug his talent into forgetfulness of loftier aims luckily the master sculptor life intervened and real troubles chiselled this character on tragic broader and more passionate lines he played frequently in public during eighteen thirty two to eighteen thirty three with hiller liszt Hetz, and osborne and much in private there was some rivalry in this parterre of pianists liszt chopin and hiller indulged in friendly contests and chopin always came off winner when polish music was essayed he delighted in imitating his colleagues thalberg especially adolphe brisson tells of a meeting of sand chopin and thalberg where as matthias says the lady chattered like a magpie and thalberg after being congratulated by chopin on his magnificent virtuosity wheeled off polite phrases in return doubtless he valued the pole's compliments for what they were worth the moment his back was presented chopin at the keyboard was mocking him it was then chopin told sand of his pupil georges mathias thalberg took his revenge whenever he could after a concert by chopin he astonished hiller by shouting on the way home in reply to questions he slyly answered that he needed a forte as he had heard nothing but pianissimo the entire evening chopin was never a hearty partisan of the roman movement its extravagance misplaced enthusiasm turbulence 
attacks on church state and tradition disturbed the finical pole while noise reclaim and boisterousness chilled and repulsed him he wished to be the uland of poland but he objected to smashing idols and refused to wade in gutters to reach his ideal he was not a fighter yet as one reviews the past half-century it is his still small voice that has emerged from the din the golden voice of a poet and not the roar of the artistic demagogues of his day liszt's influence was stimulating but what did not chopin do for liszt read schumann he managed in eighteen thirty four to go to aix-la-chapelle to attend the lower rhenish music festival there he met hiller and mendelssohn at the painter's shadows and improvised marvellously so hiller writes he visited coblenz with hiller before returning home professor nix has a deep spring of personal humour which he taps at rare intervals he remarks that the coming to paris and settlement there of his friend matuchinsky must have been very gratifying to chopin who felt so much the want of one with whom to sigh this slanting allusion is matched by his treatment of george sand after literally ratting her in a separate chapter he winds up his work with the solemn assurance that he abstains from pronouncing judgment because the complete evidence did not seem to me to warrant my doing so this is positively delicious when i met his biographer at Beirut in eighteen ninety six i told him how much i had enjoyed his work adding that i found it indispensable in the reconstruction of chopin professor niecks gazed at me blandly he is most amiable and scholarly looking and remarked you are not the only one he was probably thinking of the many who have had recourse to his human documents of chopin but niecks in eighteen eighty eight built on karasowski liszt schumann sand and others so the process is bound to continue since eighteen eighty eight much has been written of chopin much surmised with matuchinsky the composer was happier he devoutly loved his country and despite his sarcasm was fond of his countrymen never an extravagant man he invariably assisted the poles after eighteen thirty four to five chopin's activity as a public pianist began to wane he was not always understood and was not so warmly welcomed as he deserved to be on one occasion when he played the largetto of his f minor concerto in a conservatoire concert its frigid reception annoyed him very much nevertheless he appeared at a benefit concert at habenix april twenty sixth eighteen thirty five the papers praised but his irritability increased with every public performance about this time he became acquainted with bellini for whose sensuous melodies he had a peculiar predilection in july eighteen thirty five chopin met his father at carlsbad then he went to dresden and later to leipzig playing privately for schumann clara wieck wenzel and mendelssohn schumann gushes over chopin but his friendliness was never reciprocated on his return to paris chopin visited heidelberg 
where he saw the father of his pupil adolf gutmann and reached the capital of the civilized world the middle of october meanwhile a love affair had occupied his attention in dresden in september eighteen thirty five chopin met his old school friends the Wojcinskis, former pupils at his father's school he fell in love with their sister mary and they became engaged he spoke to his father about the matter and for the time paris and his ambitions were forgotten he enjoyed a brief dream of marrying and of settling near warsaw teaching and composing the occasional dream that tempts most active artists soothing them with the notion that there is really a haven of rest from the world's buffets again the gods intervened in the interest of music the father of the girl objected on the score of chopin's means and his social position artists were not paderewskis in those days although the mother favored the romance the wachinskis were noble and wealthy in the summer of eighteen thirty six at marienbad chopin met marie again in eighteen thirty seven the engagement was broken and the following year the inconstant beauty married the son of chopin's godfather Count frederick skarbek as the marriage did not prove a success perhaps the lady played too much chopin a divorce ensued and later she married a gentleman by the name of orpichevsky count wachinsky wrote le trois romans de friedrich chopin in which he asserts that his sister rejected chopin at marienbad in eighteen thirty six but chopin survived the shock he went back to paris and in july eighteen thirty seven accompanied by camille pleyel and stanislas kosmian visited england for the first time his stay was short only eleven days and his church trouble dates from this time he played at the house of james broadwood the piano manufacturer being introduced by pleyel as monsieur fritz but his performance betrayed his identity his music was already admired by amateurs but the critics with a few exceptions were unfavorable to him now sounds for the first time the sinister motive of the george sand affair in deference to mr hadder i shall not call it a liaison it was not in the vulgar sense chopin might have been petty a common failing of artistic men but he was never vulgar in word or deed he disliked the woman with the somber eye before he had met her her reputation was not good no matter if george eliot matthew arnold elizabeth barrett browning and others believed her an injured saint mr haddow indignantly repudiates anything that savors of irregularity in the relations of chopin and aurore dudevant if he honestly believes that their contemporaries flagrantly lied and that the woman's words are to be credited why by all means let us leave the critic in his utopia mary queen of scots has her meline why should not sand boast of at least one apologist for her life besides herself i do not say this with cynical intent nor do i propose to discuss the details of the affair which has been dwelt upon ad nauseum by every twanger of the romantic string the idealists will always see a union of souls the realists and there were plenty of them in paris taking notes from eighteen thirty seven to eighteen forty seven view the alliance as a matter of gossip 
the truth lies midway chopin a neurotic being met the polyandrous sand a trampler on all the social and ethical conventions albeit a woman of great gifts repelled at first he gave way before the ardent passion she manifested toward him she was his elder so could veil the situation with the maternal mask and she was the stronger intellect more celebrated chopin was but a pianist in the eyes of the many and so won by her magnetism the man she desired paris artistic paris was full of such situations least protected the countess de gaulle who bore him children cosima von buller wagner among the rest balzac that magnificent combination of bonaparte and byron pirate and poet was apparently leading the life of a saint but his most careful student viscount spelborg de lovinger whose name is veritably balzacian tells us some different stories even gustav flaubert the ascetic giant of rouen had a romance with madame louise collet a mediocre writer and imitator of sand as was countess de gaulle the frankfurt jewess better known as daniel stern that lasted from eighteen forty six to eighteen fifty four according to emile faget here then was a medium which was the other side of good and evil a new transvaluation of morals as nietzsche would say frederick deplored the union for he was theoretically a catholic did he not once resent the visit of liszt and a companion to his apartments when he was absent indeed he may be fairly called a moralist carefully reared in the roman catholic religion he died confessing that faith with the exception of the sand episode his life was not an irregular one he abhorred the vulgar and tried to conceal his infatuation from his parents this intimacy however did the pair no harm artistically notwithstanding the inevitable sorrow and heart-burnings at the close chopin had someone to look after him he needed it and in the society of this brilliant frenchwoman he throve amazingly his best work may be traced to nohant and majorca she on her side profited also after the bitterness of a separation from alfred de musset about eighteen thirty three she had been lonely for the pagello intermezzo was of short duration the de musset sand story was not known in its entirety until eighteen ninety six again monsieur spelborg de lovinger must be consulted as he possessed a bundle of letters that were written by george sand and monsieur boulot the editor of la revue des deux mondes in eighteen fifty eight de musset went to venice with sand in the fall of eighteen thirty three they had the maternal sanction and means supplied by madame de musset the story gives forth the true gallic resonance on being critically tapped de musset returned alone sick in body and soul and thenceforth absent was his constant solace there had been references vague and disquieting of a dr pagello for whom sand had suddenly manifested one of her extraordinary fancies this she denied but de musset's brother plainly intimated that the aggravating cause of his brother's illness had been the unexpected vision of sand coquetting with the young medical man called in to prescribe for alfred 
Dr. Pagello, in 1896, was interviewed by Dr. Cabana of the Paris Figaro, and here is his story of what had happened in 1833. This story will explain the later behavior of La Mère La Blanche toward Chopin. One night, George Sand, after writing three pages of prose full of poetry and inspiration, took an unaddressed envelope, placed therein the poetic declaration, and handed it to Dr. Pagello. He, seeing no address, did not, or feigned not, to understand for whom the letter was intended, and asked George Sand what he should do with it. Snatching the letter from his hands, she wrote upon the envelope, to the stupid Pagello. Some days afterward, George Sand frankly told Du Musset that henceforth she could be to him only a friend. Du Musset died in 1857, and after his death, Sand startled Paris with L. Louis, an obvious answer to confessions of a child of the age, Du Musset's version, an uncomplimentary one to himself, of their separation. The poet's brother, Paul, rallied to his memory with Louis L., and even Louisa Colette ventured into the fracas with a trashy novel called Louis. During all this mud-throwing, the cause of the trouble calmly lived in the little Italian town of Belluno. It was Dr. Giuseppe Pagello who will go down in literary history as the one man that played Joseph to George Sand. Now do you ask why I believe that Sand left Chopin when she was bored with him? The words, some days afterwards, are significant. I print the Pagello story not only because it is new, but as a reminder that George Sand in her love affairs was always the man. She treated Chopin as a child, a toy, used him for literary copy, pays Mr. Haddow, and threw him over after she had wrung out all the emotional possibilities of the problem. She was true to herself even when she attempted to palliate her want of heart. Beware of the woman who punctuates the pages of her life with heart and maternal feelings. If I do not believe any more in tears, it is because I saw thee crying, exclaimed Chopin. Sand was the product of abnormal forces. She herself was abnormal, and her mental activity, while it created no permanent types in literary fiction, was also abnormal. She dominated Chopin, as she had dominated Jules Sandel, Kalmata the Mezzotinter, Du Musset, Franz Liszt, Delacroix, Michel de Bourges. I have not the exact chronological order, and later Flaubert. The most lovable event in the life of this much-loved woman was her old-age affair, purely platonic, with Gustave Flaubert. The correspondence shows her to have been maternal to the last. In the recently published Lettre l'étranger of Honore du Balzac, this about Sand is very apropos. A visit paid to Georges Sand at Nohand in March 1838 brought the following to Madame Hanska. It was rather well that I saw her, for we exchanged confidences regarding Sandel. I, who blamed her to the last for deserting him, now feel only a deep compassion for her, as you will have for me, when you learn with whom we have had relations, she of love, I of friendship. But she has been even more unhappy with Musset. So here she is, in retreat, denouncing both marriage and love 
because in both she has found nothing but delusion. I will tell you of her immense and secret devotion to these two men, and you will agree that there is nothing in common between angels and devils. All the follies she has committed are claims to glory in the eyes of great and beautiful souls. She has been the dupe of La Dorval, Bocage, Lamne, etc. Through the same sentiment she is the dupe of Liszt and Madame de Gaulle. So let us accept without too much questioning, as did Balzac, a reader of souls, the Saint-Chopin partnership and follow its sinuous course until 1847. Chopin met Sand at a musical matinee in 1837. Niecks throttles every romantic yarn about the pair that has been spoken or printed. He got his facts viva voce from Franchomme. Sand was antipathetic to Chopin, but her technique for overcoming masculine coyness was as remarkable in its particular fashion as Chopin's proficiency at the keyboard. They were soon seen together and everywhere. She was not musical, not a trained musician, but her appreciation for all art forms was highly sympathetic. Not a beautiful woman, being swarthy and rather heavy-set in figure, this is what she was as seen by Edward Grenier. She was short and stout, but her face attracted all my attention, the eyes especially. There were wonderful eyes, a little too close together, it may be, large, with full eyelids, and black, very black, but by no means lustrous. They reminded me of unpolished marble, or rather of velvet, and this gave a strange, dull, even cold expression to her countenance. Her fine eyebrows and these great placid eyes gave her an air of strength and dignity which was not borne out by the lower part of her face. Her nose was rather thick and not over-shapely, her mouth was also rather coarse and her chin small she spoke with great simplicity and her manners were very quiet but she attracted with imperious power all that she met liszt felt this attraction at one time and it is whispered that chopin was jealous of him poof the woman who could conquer france liszt in his youth must have been a sorceress he too was versatile in 1838, Sand's boy Morris being ill, she proposed a visit to Majorca. Chopin went with the party in November, and full accounts of the Mediterranean trip, Chopin's illness, the bad weather, discomforts, and all the rest may be found in the Histoire du Mavi by Sand. It was a time of torment. Chopin is a detestable invalid, said Sand, and so they returned to Nohant in july eighteen thirty nine they saw genoa for a few days in may but that is as far as chopin ever penetrated into the promised land italy at one time a passion for him sand enjoyed the subtle and truly feminine pleasure of again entering the city which six years before she had visited in company with another man the former lover of rachel Chopin's health in 1839 was a source of alarm to himself and his friends. He had been dangerously ill at Majorca and Marseilles. Fever and severe coughing proved to be the dread forerunners of the disease that killed him ten years later. 
he was forced to be very careful in his habits resting more giving fewer lessons playing but little in private or public and becoming frugal of his emotions now sand began to cool though her lively imagination never ceased making graceful touching pictures of herself in the roles of sister of mercy mother and discreet friend all merged into one sentimental composite her invalid was her one thought and for an active mind and body like hers it must have been irksome to submit to the caprices of the moody ailing man he composed at nohan and she has told us all about it how he groaned wrote and rewrote and tore to pieces draft after draft of his work this brings to memory another martyr to style gustave flaubert who for forty years in a room at croiset near rouen wrestled with the devils of syntax and epithet chopin was of an impatient nervous disposition all the more remarkable then his capacity for taking infinite pains like balzac he was never pleased with the final revise of his work he must need aim at finishing touches his letters at this period are interesting for the chopinist but for the most part they consist of requests made to his pupils fontana gutmann and others to jog the publishers to get him new apartments to buy him many things wagner was not more importunate or minatory than this paul who depended on others for the material comforts and necessities of his existence nor is his abuse of friends and patrons the leos and others indicative of an altogether frank sincere nature he did not hesitate to lump them all as pigs or jews if anything happened to jar his nerves money money is the leading theme of the paris and malorian letters sand was a spendthrift and chopin had often to put his hands in his pocket for her he charged twenty francs a lesson but was not a machine and for at least four months of the year he earned nothing hence his anxiety to get all he could for his compositions heaven-born geniuses are sometimes very keen in financial transactions and indeed why should they not be in eighteen thirty nine chopin met they appeared together at st cloud playing for the royal family chopin received a gold cup moscheles a travelling case the king gave him this said the amiable frederick to get the sooner rid of him there were two public concerts in eighteen forty one and eighteen forty two the first on april twenty sixth at pleyel's rooms the second on february twenty at the same hall Nix devotes an engrossing chapter to the public accounts and the general style of chopin's playing of this more hereafter from eighteen forty three to eighteen forty seven chopin taught and spent the vacations at nohan to which charming retreat least matthew arnold delacroix charles rollinat and others came his life was apparently happy he composed and amused himself with Maurice and Solange, the terrible children of this bohemian household. There, according to reports, Chopin and Liszt were in friendly rivalry. Are two pianists ever friendly? Liszt imitating Chopin's style, and once in the dark they exchanged places and fooled their listeners. Liszt denied this. 
another story is of one or the other working the pedal rods the pedals being broken this too has been laughed to scorn by least nor could he recall having played while Piedot garcia sang out on the terrace of the chateau garcia's memory is also short about this event rollinat delacroix and sand have written abundant souvenirs of noha and its distinguished gatherings so let us not attempt to impugn the details of the chopin legend that legend which coughs deprecatingly as it points to its aureoled alabaster brow dulens should be consulted for an account of this period he will add the finishing touches of unreality that may be missing chopin knew every one of note in paris the best salons were open to him some of his confreres have not hesitated to describe him as a bit snobbish for during the last ten years of his life he was generally inaccessible but consider his retiring nature his suspicious slavic temperament above all his delicate health where one accuses him of indifference and selfishness there are ten who praise his unfaltering kindness generosity and forbearance he was as a rule a kind and patient teacher and where talent was displayed his interest trebled can you fancy this aerial of the piano giving lessons to humdrum pupils playing in a charmed and bewitching circle of countesses surrounded by the luxury and the praise that kills chopin is a much more natural figure yet he gave lessons regularly and appeared to relish them he had not much taste for literature he liked voltaire though he read but little that was not polish did he really enjoy sand's novels and when asked why he did not compose symphonies or operas answered that his metier was the piano and to it he would stick he spoke french though with a polish accent and also german but did not care much for german music except bach and mozart beethoven save in the c-sharp minor and several other sonatas was not sympathetic schubert he found rough weber in his piano music too operatic and schumann he dismissed without a word he told heller that the carnival was really not music at all this remark is one of the curiosities of musical anecdotage but he had his gay moments when he would gossip chatter imitate everyone cut up all manner of tricks and like wagner stand on his head perhaps it was feverish agitated gaiety yet somehow it seemed more human than that eternal thaddeus of warsaw melancholy and regret for the vanished greatness and happiness of poland a greatness and happiness that never had existed chopin disliked letter-writing and would go miles to answer one in person he did not hate any one in particular being rather indifferent to everyone and to political events except where poland was concerned theoretically he hated jews and russians yet associated with both he was like his music a bundle of unreconciled affirmations and evasions and never could have been contented anywhere or with anyone of himself he said that he was in this world like the e-string of a violin on a contrabass this divine dissatisfaction led him to extremes to the flouting of friends for fancied affronts to the snubbing of artists who sometimes visited him he grew suspicious of liszt and for ten years was not on terms of intimacy with him 
although they never openly quarrelled the breach which had been very perceptibly widening became hopeless in eighteen forty seven when sand and chopin parted for ever a literature has grown up on the subject chopin never had much to say but sand did so did chopin's pupils who were quite virulent in their assertions that she killed their master the break had to come it was the inevitable end of such a friendship the dynamics of free love have yet to be formulated this much we know two such natures could never entirely cohere when the novelty wore off the stronger of the two the one least in love took the initial step it was george sand who took it with chopin he would never have had the courage nor the will the final causes are not very interesting niecks has sifted all the evidence before the court and jury of scandalmongers the main quarrel was about the marriage of solange sand with clesinger the sculptor her mother did not oppose the match but later she resented clesinger's actions he was coarse and violent she said with the true mother-in-law spirit and when chopin received the young woman and her husband after a terrible scene at noha she broke with him it was a good excuse he had ennuied her for several years and as he had completed his artistic work on this planet and there was nothing more to be studied the psychological portrait was supposedly painted madame georges got rid of him the dark stories of maternal jealousy of chopin's preference for solange the visit to chopin of the concierge's wife to complain of her mistress's behavior with her husband all these rakings i leave to others it was a triste affair and i do not doubt in the least that it undermined chopin's feeble health why not animals die of broken hearts and this emotional product of poland deprived of affection home and careful attention may well as dulin swears have died of heartbreak recent gossip declares that sand was jealous of chopin's friendships this is silly mr a b walkley the english dramatic critic after declaring that he would rather have lived during the balzac epoch in paris continues in this entertaining vein and then one might have had a chance of seeing george sand in the thick of her amorisms for my part i would certainly rather have met her than pontius pilate the people who saw her in her old age flaubert gautier and goncourts have left us copious records of her odd appearance her perpetual cigarette smoking and her whimsical life at nohant but then she was only an extinct volcano she must have been much more interesting in full eruption of her earlier career the period of musset and pegello she herself told us something in l et louis and correspondence published a year or so ago in the revue de paris told us more but to my mind the most fascinating chapter in this part of her history is the chopin chapter covering the next decade or roughly speaking the forties she has revealed something of this time naturally from her own point of view in lucrezia floriana eighteen forty seven for it is of course one of the most notorious characteristics of george sand that she invariably turned her loves into copy the mixture of passion and printer's ink in this lady's composition is surely one of the most curious blends ever offered to the palate of the epicure 
but it was a blend which gave the lady an unfair advantage for posterity we hear too much of her side of the matter this one feels especially as regards her affair with chopin with musset she had to reckon a writer like herself and against her l louis we can set his confession de l'enfant du cycle but poor chopin being a musician was not good at copy the emotions she gave him he had to pour out in music which delightful as sound is unfortunately vague as a literary document how one longs to have his full true and particular account of the six months he spent with george sand in majorca monsieur pierre mille who has just published in the revue blue some letters of chopin first printed it seems in a warsaw newspaper would have us believe that the lady was really the masculine partner we are to understand that it was chopin who did the weeping and pouting and scene-making while george sand did the consoling the poo-pooing and the protecting liszt had already given us a characteristic anecdote of this majorca period we see george sand in sheer exuberance of health and animal spirits wandering out into the storm while chopin stays at home to have an attack of nerves to give vent to his anxiety oh artistic temperament by composing a prelude and to fall fainting at the lady's feet when she returns safe and sound there is no doubt that the lady had enough of the masculine temper in her to be the first to get tired and as poor chopin was coughing and swooning most of the time this is scarcely surprising but she did not leave him forthwith she kept up the pretence of loving him in a maternal protecting sort of way out of pity as it were for a sick child so much the published letters clearly show many of them are dated from noha but in themselves the letters are dull enough chopin composed with the keyboard of a piano with ink and paper he could do little probably his love letters were wooden productions and george sand we know was a fastidious critic in that matter she had received and written so many but any rate chopin did not write whining recriminations like musset his real view of her we shall never know and if you like you may say it is no business of ours she once uttered a truth about that though not a propos of chopin there are so many things between two lovers of which they alone can be the judges chopin gave his last concert in paris february sixteenth eighteen forty eight at pleils he was ill but played beautifully oscar cometon said he fainted in the artist's room sand and chopin met but once again she took his hand which was trembling and cold but he escaped without saying a word he permitted himself in a letter to jimala from london dated november seventeen to eighteen eighteen forty eight to speak of sand i have never cursed any one but now i am so weary of life that i am near cursing lucrezia but she suffers too and suffers more because she grows older in wickedness what a pity about Solly! alas everything goes wrong with the world 
i wonder what mr haddo thinks of this reference to sand Soli is solange sand who was forced to leave her husband because of ill-treatment as her mother once boxed Klesinger's ears at noha she followed the example in trying to settle the affair sand quarrelled hopelessly with her daughter that energetic descendant of emancipated woman formed a partnership literary of course with the marquis alfieri the nephew of the italian poet her salon was as much in vogue as her mother's but her tastes were inclined to politics revolutionary politics preferred she had for associates gambetta jules ferry floquet taine herve weiss the critic of the debat henry fouquier and many others she had the curved hebraic nose of her mother and hair coal-black she died in her chateau at montgivray and was buried march twenty eighteen ninety nine at nohant where as my informant says her mother died of overmuch cigarette smoking she was a clever woman and wrote a book masks and buffoons morris sand died in eighteen eighty three he was the son of his mother who was gathered to her heterogeneous ancestors june eighth eighteen seventy six in literature george sand is a feminine pennant to jean jacques roseau full of ill-digested troubled fermenting social political philosophical and religious speculations and theories she wrote picturesque french smooth flowing and full of color the sketches of nature of country life have positive value but where has vanished her gallery of byronic passion pursued women where are the lilias the indianas the rodolstadts she had not as mr henry james points out a faculty of characterization as flaubert wrote her in spite of your great sphinx eyes you have always seen the world as through a golden mist she dealt in vague vast figures and so her prince carol in lucrezia floriana unquestionably intended for chopin is a burlesque little wonder he was angered when the precious children asked him cher monsieur chopin have you read lucrezia mamma has put you in it of all persons sand was pre-elected to give to the world a true a sympathetic picture of her friend she understood him but she had not the power of putting him between the covers of a book if flaubert or better still pierre lotti could have known chopin so intimately we should possess a memoir in which every vibration of emotion would be recorded every shade noted and all pinned with the precise adjective the phrase exquisite End of chapter two